room into a canal in Petersburg and at the end of December in the middle of the night just sounds like the most terrifying way to go. Or... Crap. No, don't record in the background, dumbass. Let's do this again. Hi, it's me. Welcome to NSW, aka Not So Whimsical. My name is McCole, my favorite seasoning is lemon, and I will be your host forever and ever. I will be inviting different people from different walks of life, share some food or drink we have lying around the house, and hopefully make you giggle. Okay, bye! Hi, it's me, and welcome to Not So Whimsical. I'm with Abby today. She used to be our roommate. This is a little bit different than our regular episodes because normally you have three questions prepared. But like your zodiac sign, your favorite color, and something that's like really meaningful. But this is really special to me. It's This whole episode is going to be about Rasputin. <laughs> okay. So, Abby, explain yourself. <laughs> explain what you do and why you're so into Rasputin. <laughs> Um, okay, hello everyone. My name is Abigail, like Nicole said. Um, I am living in Vienna right now because I'm kind of doing an exchange program uh, with my school back home. But uh, the reason why I know so much about Rasputin is because I study uh, Russian history, Russian area studies, Russian language, and I've studied that for a long time, and I used to live in Russia. Um, so... You know, the story of Rasputin's death is like this crazy story. Uh, and everybody kind of in the Russian studies world probably knows it because it's this weird, culty, like, you know, just legend. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't help but be fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. For sure. He lived in Siberia, didn't he, before like he went to mm-hmm. Moscow? So he was uh, from this place called Pakrovskaya. Um, yeah, which is in, um, it's kind of, it's east of Yekaterinburg, so it's Siberia, but it's not as far as I lived, um, but it's definitely Siberia. And Yekaterinburg is where the, um, the Tsar and his family were murdered. <laughs> so, uh, also, like, Abby lived in Siberia, which is a really funny story she likes to tell people when they annoy <laughs> her, when she wants to sound cool, which I completely understand, and, like... <laughs> I don't know if that's what I'm thinking when I tell the story. You don't think that's really cool? No. I mean, I think it's really cool, but I I don't tell it when people are annoying me. Someone was annoying once. I don't know where we were and Mm. what we were doing, but you were talking to... Yeah, it was like... They were complaining, and I was like, no. Yeah, that's what you like to do. You're like, shut up. Yeah. (laughs) Like, my eyes froze. Okay. I can see. But, I mean, I do the same thing. I tell everyone about Abby, and the first thing I say is like, yeah, so she lived in Siberia. Where have you lived so far? Okay, so, want to get into it? She has a whole presentation prepared, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it's more like notes, photos, and memes that Mm -hmm. I'm going to put in the Instagram post. So, let's get into it. Well, I mean, my whole presentation is just prepped for drunk history, so I feel like maybe you should ask me questions. Me ask you a question. Yeah, because you're a different audience than a bunch of like drunk American law students <laughs> just looking at the pictures and processing five percent of the information. Oh yeah, you also study law, so you have like mm-hmm. seventeen hundred degrees. Seventeen hundred and one, actually. <laughs> okay, so what's like his backstory? Okay, perfect. What a great place to start. Okay, um, so Rasputin was born in eighteen sixty nine. Pokrovskaya, 
and his family was like a church elder and just kind of, a, I mean, it was a small village, so just a church elder, a local career guy. We don't really know a ton about his early life. And it's just a guy that, I mean, in the U.S., it's like someone that takes the tithes and, you know, like opens the door for people and hands out the bulletins. So that was his family, like his dad or who yeah. was it? Okay. But I, I would assume in a small town in Russia at that time, like a lot of the men in the village were church elders. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so he had eight brothers and sisters. Um, they all died in infancy. He was illiterate. He was never formally educated. Uh, he had a crazy youth. He uh, did a lot of drinking and thieving and disrespecting local authorities. Um, he moved up to major crimes. Uh, later, he like stole horses. I wrote down that he bore false witness, which I guess is a big deal. Um, he bore false witness? Yeah, he lied. Okay. Yeah. Probably about stealing the horse. <laughs> but wait, like all of his siblings died? I, I think so. Yeah. Wow! You must feel so special. So he married a local girl in 1887 when he was 18. He had three, he had seven kids, but only three made it to adulthood. And then one of his kids, Maria, ended up moving to the US, uh, I think to LA, like later um, after he died everything and she kind of became this like cult figure in the u.s um so he uh ended up going to petersburg on kind of this like pilgrimage with the russian orthodox church and he left his family and his young wife um somebody was honking for a rasputin yeah i'm telling you like things are gonna be weird (laughs) yeah um so he went to petersburg to help people out with their crises and anxieties Well, rumors started that he was having sex with just, like, all of his female followers, of which he had many. Um, So those started in Petersburg, uh, and he just kind of worked his way over there. He defended or befriended two princesses, um, and they were called the Black Princesses of Montenegro. They're another another story. (laughs) Honk for them. Um, So these princesses introduced him to the family. Okay. Um, to the Tsar's family. Um, and this is when, you know, he became the Rasputin that we think of. Um, so he became a healer for the little uh, prince, Alexei, um, whom everyone knows had hemophilia. Um, so What is that? It's like a blood disease. Oh. <laughs> um, so I think there was like a carriage accident. Um, he was in, so Alexei was injured at the Royal Hunting Grounds. He had a big uh, hematoma in his thigh um, and he was in pain. He was delirious. The Tsarina sent a telegram um, to Rasputin, whom she knew of as kind of his healer by this point. She was frantic. She asked him to pray. Uh, he did, and he said, like, God heard me, this kid won't die, and everybody, you know, everybody thought that uh, the little boy was going to die, and Rasputin was like, don't let the doctor really do much, um, and I think probably the doctor would have done something destructive, because I know at this time they were, like, into bloodletting and all of that stuff. I don't know if you would do that for a hematoma, but anyway. Bloodletting. Yeah, like, um, with, like, leeches. Oh, my God. Okay, no, yeah. no. <laughs> so, probably the doctor would have made it worse. Um, right. But I think that's a blanket thing. Uh, yeah, but anyway, Alexei stopped bleeding. Um, <laughs> and historians still, like, don't really know what happened. Like, nobody's figured it out. But uh, the Tsarina was like, this is 
all to her, like, this is Rasputin, he saved my kid, he's the most important now. What was her name again? She was German, right? Um, Alexander. Alexandra. Alexandra and yeah. Alexei, great. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> a little family of Alex's, I guess, for nicknames. And Anastasia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they had four girls. Do you know, do you remember their names? Olga, Maria, Tatiana, and Anastasia. Wow! But anyway, so he became, like, very important at court. Mm. Uh, the Tsar, you know, appointed him to be, a, he was, like, a Lempadnik, which is, like, a, I don't, I don't even know. It sounds like a lamplighter. Like, <laughs> yeah. He just has access to the, I think he kind of does, like, administrative things around the palace. He has access to the palace and the family. Um, and he, Alexandra appoints him to be like in charge of her household. So he is in charge of hiring everyone. Um, so he just kind of like amasses all of this influence. Nobody knows a ton about him. Um, people are pretty sure that he's like abusing the kids and like raping like household staff. And then he's also like having sex still with a ton of female followers and um, he's like taking bribes and sexual favors from admirers and like the spiritual elite hate him because they're like this guy calls himself a monk but he's not I was actually going to ask like that when he went on that pilgrimage mm-hmm. I didn't know he went with people I thought he went alone and he spent like two years in Siberia like walking to mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. was it St. Petersburg yeah I, it was like a solo pilgrimage yeah, and the, like, local church leaders were like, you should go to Petersburg. Like, he kind of worked his way up there. And then he didn't become extremely influential until, I believe, the second time he was in Petersburg. Because um, I the first time, I don't think he, like, reached the, the fame that he wanted to. And then he also had this, you know, whole family back home. Mm-hmm. And not that it sounds like he was very faithful to his wife, but <laughs> he went back and then he, and then he came back to Petersburg. He wanted that big city life. Why Why were people so, like, fascinated? Because from that weird documentary I saw where there was this one Russian, mm-hmm. like, historian who was talking about it as well, he was pretty dirty when he came to Petersburg, and he was pretty disgusting-looking mm-hmm. to people. So what made him so admirable to people, you think? Well, I don't think... I really think the only person that really liked him was um, Alexandra mm-hmm. because of Alexei. Um, like, yeah, this virtual lead didn't like him. It sounds like he was abusing a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, mostly women, but could have been, you know, anyone. Yeah. Um, and then all the men kind of hated him because he was having sex with all the women, probably <laughs> some of the men. Um, and people really, really hated him um, in World War One when the Tsar uh, very famously went off to the front and left mm-hmm. Alexander in charge, which people were understandably a little miffed about because Alexander was German and, you know, it's World War One, and she's left in charge. Yeah. And so she's in charge of the country, but Rasputin is kind of in charge of her. <laughs> so people were just, like, done with both of them at that point, and there was huge popular unrest. Um, and that was, you know, one of the things that led to the revolution. Um, yeah, because people were <laughs> very upset about it. And then, yeah, publicly, this is what I had been telling you about earlier, he was very into, like, self-flagellation. <laughs> um, he was always drunk. He was, quote, sexually promiscuous, willing to accept thrives. Um I am fairly confident in saying that he wouldn't have achieved the influence that he did if he had not 
you know, been able to quote unquote save right. LSA after that hunting incident. Mm. Yeah. That's weird. Mm-hmm. Because still no one knows how he healed him. Supposedly. Yeah, nobody knows. And I, he sounds very crafty, so I have this note that Rasputin had a vision that the Russian armies uh, wouldn't be successful in World War One unless the Tsar went off to the front, mm-hmm. um, which of course effectively left him, you know, in quite a powerful position right. in the country. Um, so after the Tsar left, he started filling government offices um, <laughs> with her people, but really his people. I don't know who his people were, but... I don't think anybody else liked it. Um, so people started giving speeches about him, uh, like in the streets, okay. uh, saying that he was pulling people in the palace on strings. Um, they were saying that he had turned the imperial couple into marionettes, that he was this evil genius. Marion what? Like puppets. Like oh, marionettes. Mm-hmm. He would get into public fights with the church and brag about his lifestyle. So his... Whatever good standing he had with the public just kind of went down the spiral, and that's all what contributed to to the events of his death. <laughs> well, you said before, like, his people. So mm-hmm. was there some kind of cult around him? I, I don't know. He was a pretty solitary guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would occasionally cohabitate with society women. Um, but in general, he was very mysterious, and people didn't know a lot about him. I think, you know, there could have been a few that, you know, followed his mystique. Um, right. But I think it was kind of try. I think it was maybe a little bit difficult to get in on his action, um, just because he really was all about himself and amassing power for himself. Uh, so, you know, I don't know who he appointed in these offices, but I assume it was people that were very bribable, you know, who would just do whatever Alexandra told them to, which was often what he told her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just asking myself, he lived with them in the castle, right? Mm-hmm. Or wherever mm-hmm. they lived. No, he lived in, um, like, a suite of, a, a suite of apartments in, uh, in Petersburg. Okay. Yeah. Also, actually, he could do whatever the hell he wanted. Mm-hmm. Because I was wondering, if he's in the castle and he keeps... Yeah. Raping people mm-hmm. and, and going places and getting drunk like someone would notice. But, oh, that's nice. A suite of apartments. Great. Yeah. I found the... what I Why I'm saying he was raping people, because he was. He was raping the kids' nurses, the prince and princesses' nurses. Um, oh, my God. And they, they would tell Alexandra, the ones who did tell her, and she wouldn't believe them and she would dismiss them. Um, and then apparently the princesses... Uh, he would like caress them through their nightgowns. Like he just sounds like a pretty terrible guy. Um, but you also have to keep in mind that when all of this is happening, you know, it's kind of a thin sliver of time. Like he reached his uh, super influential position around 1912, mm-hmm. um, and then the Tsar went off, you know, in 1915 to the front, um, and then. The revolution happened in 1917, so this is all, you know, in like a very concentrated period of time where there's so much happening. Many things going on besides Rasputin, he was just very interesting. So what is he like now in culture, in Russian culture? Like, what what do they see him as now? I mean, now I think he's just, I think people view him historically as 
um, part of the disconnect between the Tsar's family and, I mean, not even just the Russian people, but also, like, the Russian aristocracy. Because mm-hmm. um, Rasputin did not help them <laughs> publicly at all, and he really distanced them from anyone that could have helped them, um, from, you know, the rest of the aristocracy. Uh, and it was really, you know, Alexander that was driving the, the love for Rasputin. And then the Tsar, you know, there are, I think many historians would tell you that the Tsar didn't really want to be in charge. He just, you know, he had to. Um, so he, he was kind of apart from it, from the whole Rasputin thing, but I think he just let it happen because, you know, his son and his wife and, you know, he was dealing with the front and with this war where the government didn't have any money. This is, you know, when they told the, the army going to the front, like, hey, just pick up the guns from the people that had fallen, you know, and before what? you. Mm. The country was not being run efficiently right. at all. Um, so, which I think, you know, wasn't extremely unique to, to Russia. I think it just happened in a really big way because it's such a big place. Exactly. Yeah. And Nikolai never wanted to be czar. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he was very enthusiastic about it. Um, he was just kind of stuck. Um, and he actually abdicated on a train on the way back from the front. Um, and the person he abdicated to, I want to say it was his cousin. Mm. I'm not sure about that, but he was like, no. <laughs> like, I don't want it. And then there was nobody else that could take it. Like, nobody wanted the throne. You know, I'm not sure where he was actually when he was coming back on the... I, I'm not sure where he was when he was coming back on the train, but he wasn't there when the revolution broke out, um, which just made it all the worse in Petersburg. <laughs> you know, the guy in charge was just gone. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Good stuff. It's interesting because I don't know a lot uh-huh. about the Romanovs or just, I just love the last name so much. Yeah. I think it's so cool. All I know is that Nikolai existed and Alexandra and... Mm-hmm. Anastasia, obviously. Yeah. But the most interesting part is always Rasputin to me. Yeah, I mean, he was just such a strange... And he was only there for the blink of an eye. He was such a strange guy. He made an impact. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that always gets me is how much um, Nicholas II looked like... I think it was his cousin, his family member, and um, George, maybe? In the British aristocracy? I don't know. But they all... It was like a group of these men, and they all looked very similar with right. their mustaches and their facial structure. Like, if you look at a, a picture of all of them, it's pretty, pretty crazy. <laughs> it was... Um, I think it was uh, Elizabeth's father. When did the... So, so after Nikolai, it ended. Mm-hmm. That always makes me so... I feel like Russia lost so much with that. And yeah. Like, mentally, kind of. They were like, where's our czar? Where did he go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, I think we were talking about this earlier, but uh, he... The Russian people didn't know, really. Like, they, they weren't asking for them to die um, en masse. Like, right. it happened... And Lenin didn't even really want them to die. Like, he's not the one that gave the order. Um, It was kind of this, like, convoluted thing that nobody wanted to happen. Um, And the Russian, I think, after it had happened, the, you know, new communist regime didn't tell the people for a while. Or it was reported, like, if I remember correctly, it was reported very sparsely in a newspaper. Like, the Tsar's family killed. Because they didn't want, because people weren't going to be happy about it. 
because um, they didn't want the regime, but they definitely didn't, you know, didn't all want the Tsar's family to be executed. When when were they executed again? Oh, I want to say 1918. Wow, like just everything happened super fast. The government that was in charge was called the Provisional Government, not communist um, like we think of. Uh, they were still kind of figuring it out. And then the Bolsheviks took over in the October Revolution of 1917, mm. which is ironic because the Bolsheviks ended up having to take over. They didn't get enough votes in the big elections that had just happened. Um, and Bolshevik means majority in Russian, but they did not have a majority. I think they had like either no votes or only a couple votes out of like hundreds of seats because nobody voted for them. And then I think... Either the party with the most votes or many of the votes um, were called the Mensheviks. And that means minority. And still the Bolsheviks took over? So the Bolsheviks were like, well, if we want power, we have to take it. Like, we're not going to get voted into office because people don't want us in office. Um, so the reason why they, it was kind of a bloodless revolution. The Bolsheviks had control. They happened to have control of all of the, like, kind of infrastructural necessities in Petersburg. Mm -hmm. So they just took them over. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the provisional government was set up in the Winter Palace, um, and they stormed the Winter Palace and, and took over, and I think that was really the only thing they stormed. But they, they took power of kind of all of the infrastructure and utilities in the city. Okay, the Romanovs were executed in July 1918. July, it's summer. And the, the house, they were like being held in a merchant's house there, which is no longer there. They tore it down and now there's a church um, over that spot. And it was just put in a newspaper that they were killed. Like there was just this little entry into a newspaper like, hey, this, this happened. But it wasn't dramatic. But back to my favorite person, Rasputin. When was he executed? When was Rasputin executed? Uh -huh. Well... You mean you know, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, murdered or like survived murdered and then drowned dead. Uh, December 1916. <laughs> Alexandra must have been heartbroken. Yeah, I mean, she was probably, this is also probably me trying to, for some reason, make her seem not as crazy as I think she would have been if she was like really, really into Rasputin. I, I feel like if I were her and I, you know, found out Rasputin had been executed, I would be very stressed, um, you know, about the well-being of my son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, I mean, I think that must have been a little bit of a, like, I don't know if you could say a wake-up call, because they probably knew how discontented the aristocracy and the people were, but yeah. it's definitely a slap in the face. Like, we've just executed your main advisor, confidant, like, household manager um yeah. home like, rapist yeah we murdered him like five times we literally murdered him like five times you know this so well i know this half well <laughs> you need to tell the story of how he died okay here's how he died great story um okay so again you have to understand that people wanted him gone there had already been an assassination attempt on his life in 1914 like a peasant woman stabbed him tried to stab him to death mm -hmm. um outside of his home when he was in Pakrovskaya. When he was in Siberia? Yeah. Okay. He must have been back visiting. There was this guy um, named Prince Felix um, Yusupov, and he was married to the Tsar's 
niece, Arena. Um, and many people think that he was bisexual and that he knew Rasputin um, more than just, you know, within society because Rasputin was, like, helping him out with his bisexual urges. Um, <laughs> I don't really know what that means. Um, but other people say that Felix was just, like, visiting Rasputin to gain his trust. Um, oh, so you think that Rasputin and Felix were doing it? Oh, I don't, I don't, I would not say that. Because I thought... They could have been doing it. Well, from what I can see, it looks like historians think Felix was having Rasputin, like, literally coach him and help him, almost like a therapist, like, through these problems. Because, you know, Rasputin was, like, you know, a star, so he was... Was he still that dirty at the time, you think? Oh, yeah. Ew. Like, he was known to be gross. Like, physically gross, but it was part of his... Persona. Yeah. Okay, so he was trying to get the devil out of Felix. Mm-hmm. The bisexual devil. But sure. <laughs> so Felix was... Uh, his family was incredibly wealthy. I think they were Crimean. I think at this time, Felix was the wealthiest man in Russia. Oh, wow. Um, he was very rich. Uh, like, he... Um, his wife had worn a Cartier necklace and one of Marie Antoinette's nails at their wedding. And then the wedding present from the Tsar had just been like a bag of 29 uncut diamonds. <laughs> like seven carats each. That's what the Tsar gave him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for, wow. Yeah, this is, so this is like, again, the level of disconnect that... But Felix was the wealthiest. It um, reminds me a little bit of like The Great Gatsby. You know, he's just, like, living his yeah. best life, but he's yeah. super lonely, but he also has these big parties, but no one knows him. Mm-hmm. Felix's family members uh, didn't really like him because he they called him, quote, downright civilian. Because he would, like, walk around and, like, dress in brown. I don't know why that's important. Um, Blasphemy. They named their child Irina because Irina liked her name so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like the vibe of this family. Okay, so in December of 1916, Felix uh, issues an invitation to Rasputin, um, who was actually in, it was on behalf of this 21-year-old princess, um, the princess Irina. His daughter? Um, yes. Okay. Uh, and she was, you know, like this beautiful young woman and... Uh, Rasputin like wanted to meet her, so Felix issued this invitation. So, you know, Rasputin comes uh, to this palace, um, the Moika Palace, just like this insane palace. Um, so he comes to the Moika Palace, and uh, it's after midnight, mm. and uh, Felix is there. The Grand Duke uh, Dmitry Pavlovich is there. A politician named Vladimir. Uh, Prashkevich is there. Um, and yeah, they, they're all at this palace and they're kind of in this like underground room. Which is like this underground stone basement. It's really creepy. <laughs> um, so he... Rasputin shows up expecting to meet this princess. She's not there. She's in Crimea. Um, they usher him into the basement. They This is like... So they murder him five times. So the first time they murder him... Um, they give him tea and cakes laced with cyanide, and I can't remember the statistic, but it was, like, enough to kill, like, a couple horses or something. Like, Rasputin was just eating it, and they're watching him, like, waiting for him to literally drop after the first bite, and he's like, 
I'm like, what's up? I'm still going. Um, so nothing happens. Uh, next, they give him three glasses of poison wine. Again, it's like a ton of poison. <laughs> nothing happens. After a few hours, uh, Yusupov goes upstairs um, where everyone else is waiting. Like he had been chilling downstairs with Rasputin. Oh, and everyone was waiting for him to give the word like he's mm-hmm. dead? Right. Okay. Um, so I, I don't know, like maybe, but we don't know because the only one who knows what happened is Yusupov. And we like can't fully trust him, you know? Yeah. There's an interview in French that we found. It's like mm-hmm. French and dubbed in Russian. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also wondering, like, isn't Rasputin like, hey, but where's your daughter? Yeah. Where is she? A couple hours later, yeah, after they're drinking all this poison wine and eating these <laughs> cyanide-laced cakes, um, uh, Yusupov goes upstairs and he, like, you know, chats with the other people and then he grabs a gun. He comes back downstairs. He tells Rasputin to look at a crucifix, like, on the wall and to say a prayer. You know, very dramatic. <laughs> Um, and then he shoots him point blank in the chest. Um, you know, so good stuff. So then Felix and somebody else, one of the other conspirators, they go to Rasputin's apartment wearing his clothes um, to make it look like he'd gone home. 4 a.m. in December in Petersburg when I feel like nobody is out because it's freezing. They come back and they go back downstairs to the little basement room to check to see if Rasputin is dead. When suddenly Rasputin like leaps up and attacks Yusupov, like Wait, so they've been away. They've been away, and then they come back. Yeah, so he's been like bleeding out on the ground from this <laughs> point blank chest wound, and you know, like poisoned, drugged. He still leaps up and attacks him. Yusupov is like, oh my god, and flees upstairs. Like he literally flees, and Rasputin follows him. And makes it to the palace courtyard where he is shot twice again at close range and collapses into a snowbank. Okay, so we're at four times. <laughs> okay, so these guys are like, all right, we have this body. We don't really know if it's alive or not. We're going to figure this out. So they take his body out of the snowbank. They wrap it in a rug. They drive him um, to a bridge in St. Petersburg. And they drop him into um, the Malayanyeva, the like. A canal mm-hmm. um, off of the Petrovsky Bridge, and it's freezing. Like he probably break. I think he broke through the ice because it's, the canal is frozen at this time. News of his murder spreads even before he's found. The co-conspirators, I think, told people. Um, so an investigation was launched. The newspapers like report his death like immediately. Uh, two workmen notice blood on the bridge and a boot on the ice. Oh my god, you know, it's so late. It's so dark. Yeah. Um, and so they find Rasputin's body on January 1st under the river, um, under the ice. Happy New Year! Yeah, 200 yards away from the bridge. So a doctor conducted the autopsy, found three gunshot wounds, one point blank. He was stabbed in the side and the forehead. Uh, the doctor uh, said he had water in his lungs, meaning that he died from drowning. That's insane Yeah. To me. So the funeral was attended by the royal family. <laughs> and, um, his wife, mistress, and children were not invited, even though they were around. <laughs> Later, his body was exhumed by soldiers after the czar's abdication in 1917, so it couldn't become like a shrine or a rallying point for something. But some people think that the whole death, like the whole murder, uh, was actually done covertly by the British intelligence service because
because Yusupov had gone to Oxford and he was friends with people in the British intelligence community. Why do you think he survived four murders? Like the punchline of the story, especially when I was told, is that when the autopsy was done, he had water in his lungs. Mm. Um, which, you know, I don't know. Like, there's this skeptical part of me that says, you know, either he was only drowned, and that's, like, that's why there was water in his lungs, because none of this other stuff happened, and yeah. Yusupov is just making it up. Um, or, you know, the doctor said this, even though it wasn't true, to kind of make this dramatic story. Um, or it's just this, like, urban legend that somebody started saying that now is a thing, that has so many historical roots from people saying it that historians are like, okay. Because the story itself is such a sensational story, but so much of it is speculation, and, you know, Yusupov is, like, really the only one that knows what happened, and we get so much from the doctor's autopsy, but, like... The doctor, like, how do we know this is from the autopsy? Yeah. Um, so no one else was in the room when Yusupov killed him? No. See, that's dumb. That's why it makes yeah. sense that it's probably a lot of, like, uh, imagination, mm-hmm. which makes me sad. So I'm, I'm skeptical. I think it's a great story. And the, I remember when I was told this story, I mean, I was told it in, like, a college lecture hall and everyone was on the edge of their seats. It, everyone was just, it was so exciting. Um mm-hmm. So I think it really is a great story, and it's kind of like the myth of Rasputin, but I really don't know how much of it is true. I think, you know, we can count on him being drowned because he had too much influence, but apart from that, you know, I'm just, I'm not sure. Yeah. But it's a great story. I'd hope that all of it is true. Yeah. And that he just, because of his, I think his, like, uh, in German we say Größenwahn, megalomania? Like, his delusions of, of grandeur and being this... Mm-hmm. But I think that's what kept him alive. Mm-hmm. Because I think he came in and he wasn't stupid. Right. I think he, he knew that people... He was stupid. He was 47 when he died. He's 47. Doesn't he look older and He looks like 115 or something. Some people have reported, in reports the last until now, that Felix just kind of, like, wanted to do something great. And mm-hmm. everybody hated Rasputin. Yeah. So it was like, that's what I'll do. I'll get rid of him. Something really exciting. And like, he was the type of guy that got 29 uncut seven carat diamonds as a wedding present from the Tsar. So one of the guys, one of the guys that, uh, Dimitri, one of the co-conspirators, Princess Olga, was supposed to marry him. Um, but the engagement was broken off because um, he didn't like, because Dimitri didn't like Rasputin. <laughs> and this guy became a champagne salesman in London. They escaped the Bolshevik Revolution because they were off because they were exiled mm. to the Persian Front, so they weren't there. The Persian Front, yeah, of World War One, which I, I again don't know much about World War One, but it doesn't sound like it's extremely like it was where all the action was. But <laughs> they both survived, and that's where they were when the Bolshevik Revolution happened. So they were like, oh, we're not going back. So, like, in a way, almost that exile, like, saved their lives. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Everything is... And it happened in the, like... It happened in, like, five years' time, all of this? Uh, what, what do you mean, all of this? Like, Rasputin, when he came to St. Petersburg, when was that? Yeah, he came to St. Petersburg in, like... I think it was, like, the early 1900s. But he became very... Yeah, I would say five years. 
Because a lot of people say he reached like massive Rasputin level influence. In <laughs> Big Rasputin energy. Yeah, Rasputin energy in 1912. But his daughter, the one that she lived in France and then she lived in the US, um, and she worked as a dancer and a lion tamer. A lion tamer. And I want I really want to see she wrote a book. But it might have been like a documentary. I just feel like there's something out there, some like work of biography called like My Father Rasputin. But I I could have made that up. But I feel like it's out there and she wrote it. I think he was fascinating. And I think to some extent he had some real cool powers. He used them badly. <laughs> but <laughs> I really believe that like when he was killed, mm-hmm. like the first, the second, the third, and the fourth time. Something must have kept him alive. And I think that's so in like intense Rasputin energy. That's what it is. That kept him alive. I don't, I, part of me thinks... I mean, I don't know why... Like, What I get hung up on is why Yusupov would like make up this grand myth of Rasputin's like, imperviousness to murder. You know, like, just why would he make that up? Because he's the one that's trying to do it. I mean, it embarrasses him, if anything. It embarrasses him, yeah. But um, I don't know, it could also be just like... You know, it's like when you're telling your friend a story and like the surface 10% of the details are just kind of, you know, they're just kind of elevated a little bit. Or what if it just started with the poison and people Mm -hmm. were like, oh my God, that's crazy. And then he loved the attention. He's like, and guess what? Mm -hmm. Then I tried that. Mm -hmm. And they were like on the edge of their seat. As Mm -hmm. you said, you know, you guys were in college. And then he was just like, this is great fun. Then he just made up this whole extravagant story. But the fact that there was uh, water found in his lungs and that Mm -hmm. he didn't freeze. That the doctor said there was water found. I was going to say, like, the doctor said that, so who knows. But also, like, great story. Like, they must have all sat together and just wrote, like, written down notes. And, like, how do we prepare this? How do we show And it was literally, like, a band of noblemen that did this. (laughs) Like, it was literally just, like, a group of, like, rich, aristocratic guys that were, like... We're going to get rid of him. I mean, if it's true, the moment when Rasputin leaps up after he's been supposedly bleeding out for a while, like, that would terrify me. I just picture this, like, you know, little Felix, like, rich, you know, confused about his sexuality man, <laughs> sprinting up this, like, just scared out of his mind. For sure. You know? It's such a story. It's so funny. And they have, I mean, the newspaper is, like, really sensationalized this like there were tons of articles and then um in this powerpoint that i sent you there's like it's a picture from getty images of rasputin's body being pulled out of the lake like what yeah i didn't see that yeah i mean there's just like it's weird like there's this whole i don't know if i can put that on instagram like what is instagram gonna say yeah it's not crazy graphic but it's Pretty creepy. Ew, it looks bad. Being thrown into a canal in Petersburg at the end of December in the middle of the night just sounds like the most terrifying way to go. Or (laughs) a really fun New Year's Eve prank. No. (laughs) Um, on that note, I have to pee. So thank you for coming. You're welcome. And like for preparing notes and everything. (laughs) Um, yeah, thank you so much. And- You're welcome.